Welcome to Visiting Professors Breast Cancer Edition. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. In this series, we arrange for clinical investigators to visit the practices of community-based oncologists where they attend a special CME clinic of patients who are then discussed in our program. To begin, Dr. Beth Overmoyer visits the practice of Dr. Bonnie Guerin in Summit, New Jersey, and Dr. Guerin presented a patient she first met 10 years ago. I met her when she was 41 years old, and she had initially presented with DCIS and had areas of microinvasion. She was treated with lumpectomy and lymph node dissection. But when she had her lymph node dissection, ultimately she had 11 of 19 positive nodes, which was quite a surprise. She had her staging workup, which was negative, and went on to receive AC followed by T in a dose-dense fashion in 2004. And then she was on tamoxifen, changed to an aromatase inhibitor, and did well for about five years. Unfortunately, in 2010, she had a local recurrence and underwent a prophylactic right-sided and skin-sparing mastectomy. And it looks like since then, she's had a number of treatments for metastatic disease. She's been on multiple chemotherapies, sometimes doublets, sometimes single agents. She has been hospitalized with significant issues. I think last year she had a malignant pericardial effusion that required a window, pleural effusions. And most recently, she's been on single agent gemcitabine, doing quite well until just about two months ago when she had progressive liver metastasis. And she's also had multiple hormonal therapies, correct? Yes, she has. She's been on tamoxifen, at least one AI, fulvestrant, ironically twice. So where exactly does she have disease right now? So now she has fairly rapidly progressing liver disease above the diaphragm, ironically, where she did have the bulk of her disease last year, it remains fairly quiescent. And then, of course, she has bone disease as well. And what kinds of symptoms, if any, is she having from the cancer? That's a complicated answer. So when she progressed, she had been on fulvestrant. And I have to say, I generally think of fulvestrant as being a fairly easy medicine. Without the hormonal side effects I think about with tamoxifen and the AIs without the joint pain. Although when she had her progression and we pulled her off the fulvestrant, she tells me she really believes that her profound fatigue and anorexia was related to the fulvestrant. During her second into her third month of fulvestrant, she lost eight pounds, was so fatigued that she was unable to do many of the activities she does with her 11-year-old. Let me ask you, Beth, what was your impression of her current status? Yeah, so this is a very interesting patient because she's basically had an acute crisis from her cancer and was pulled back from the dead twice before. So she had pericardial effusion with tamponade most recently, and then previous to that, she was also very, very ill and then recovered. And the difficulty is, of course, is that she has progressive disease in the liver. She has a small child who's 11 years old, and all she wants to do is live. And it's going to be very difficult at the end because she's been there before. She's been there twice, and she's come back. So she is very focused on her daughter. She's very focused on living. What was interesting during our interaction this morning is that 
she's actually becoming much more verbal about quality of life. You know, she stated that I wouldn't mind being very ill for several months if I knew I was going to get better for a long time. Oh, yes, I'm not going to get better for a long time. And then she said, I'm so glad now that I'm off the fulvestrant that I'm able to cook dinner. I'm able to take care of my daughter. This is very good for me. I feel so much better. And so we had a long discussion about basically quality of life, longevity of life, and what therapy can make her sicker, not necessarily the cancer making her sicker. And how do you choose between the two, you know, in terms of what type of therapy is going to help her in terms of quality of life? Does she have a spouse? You know, she does. She has a supportive spouse, although there's no doubt that especially with she spending her days at home and not working full time, she has become that much more involved in her daughter's school and what goes on in the home. You know, I think for me, and I'm not sure if on some level I sort of knew this a little bit, but sitting with Beth and the patient, it reminded me that for the last year, she's been telling me, I just want to live, I just want to live. And seeing that she's been treated with so many drugs in the past, when she had progression, I think I was anxious to find an aggressive regimen that was going to sort of pull her back for now the third time. And I should have, I think, stepped back more and thought about even a drug as seemingly innocuous as fulvestrin and, well, could this be the problem? Because I think I jumped and I gave her aggressive chemotherapy And now, today, I'm thinking, I wonder if I really needed to be that powerful in my response. I could have pulled back and give her one solid, full-dose single agent, taken off the fulvestrant, and saw how she did. Because I think now, she's doing so much better, and she hasn't been on her chemotherapy long enough to really make that change. What exactly is she receiving right now? Well, she got one cycle or one round of NAB, paclitaxel, and liposomal doxorubicin. So she was on fulvestrant. You stopped that, and you gave her NAB, paclitaxel, and pegylated doxorubicin, which is what she's on right now. What are you thinking, sort of looking forward? Well, I'm thinking, especially after having Beth with me, that perhaps it would be better to treat her with one single agent, and that would also enable me to give her one drug at full dose. You know, we like to think of doublets at having better response rates, but perhaps when you're giving half dose, if you're giving less than full dose of two drugs, perhaps you're giving two inadequate treatments. And so we switched today, and we're going to continue with the liposomal docs and see how she does. I was also reminded that although this woman is focused on being there for her daughter, that she wants to feel well in being with her daughter. And when I saw her today, how much more energy she had telling me I cooked dinner, I went ice skating, I did the laundry, I did food shopping. If my treatment is worse than the cancer, then I really haven't done her the service I had intended. You mentioned that you did have her on napaclitaxel. What prior taxanes has she received? You know, she originally, when she first presented, she received the AC followed by paclitaxel in a dose-dense fashion. So when she had her original recurrence in 2010, she got gemcitabine and nabpaclitaxel at that time. And how did she do on that at that point? You know, that was when she had her big recurrence, and she did well on that. And I'm just kind of curious, in general, in your practice, in what situations, if any, obviously there's some, are you using nabpaclitaxel as opposed to another taxane? 
you know, I don't know that there's any hard and fast rules. When I see patients of which almost all of them now, if they recur after their adjuvant therapy, they've almost all been treated with a taxane. Even the early stage disease, the unlucky, they've generally gotten TC beforehand. So if there's a long disease-free interval, and especially if I have an issue with cheer time, if I have an issue with dexamethasone, nabpaclitaxel becomes a wonderful option. I can get people in and out of their chair in an hour rather than sit and have, you know, potentially four pre-medications before they get their paclitaxel or docetaxel. So Beth, again, just kind of curious, looking over Bonnie's shoulder, seeing this woman today, any impressions about her as a person and as a patient? Yes. The one thing that was very evident and brought up previously is that, again, she was a young woman with a young child. And that type of phenotype is sort of the lioness. She will take anything as long as she's there for her cub. So it's a person who you have to convince that sequential single agent therapy is just as good as combination chemotherapy, but it allows us something to go for, something up our sleeve next once you progress through this. It's also, of course, very disheartening, but it's something that one of my patients said back in the 90s. She said, Beth, it's a crapshoot. And it is. We don't have the ability to predict what chemotherapy is going to be successful in this setting. So you choose the one based on toxicity, based on previous exposure, and gut feeling, basically, in terms of what the next regimen should be. And it was reassuring to her this morning that it's not as if we're giving up the nabpaclitaxel. We're just going to give you full-dose liposomal doxorubicin. And if the disease doesn't respond, we can go back to the nabpaclitaxel. So it's actually a lot of educating to this type of patient who is really focused on surviving no matter what. You know, we're not pulling back from her therapy. We're giving her optimal therapy. The other interesting thing was talking to her daughter and trying to have her daughter understand her disease status and get support. And I was very pleased to see that, you know, social work is involved and they really do have a nice supportive structure at the office for small children and for young women. So we also focused on that. Bonnie? So can I ask a question? So unfortunately, we all have too many of these patients that are young and otherwise healthy. And so when their disease is advanced, we can look back in their charts and see that some of them have been on six, eight, ten 10 therapies beforehand. And yet, perhaps their performance status still allows and they would like to continue on as she does. What kind of short of clinical trials or perhaps even on clinical trials, what kind of innovative treatments can we look to? I mean, each one of us has our little bucket of novel anecdotes that we reach into when there's nothing else. Right. So this is the type of patient, number one, who's gone through so much chemotherapy. And actually, at the time of her pericardial effusion, her disease was triple negative at that time. And so we really now focus not on a hormone receptor positive disease, but on a triple negative disease. Uh, My approach basically because I have the opportunity to be in a place that has a lot of clinical trials, is I also then turn to targeted agents, novel agents, because clearly standard chemotherapy has sort of run its path. One of the things that we discussed this morning was the fact that her disease is androgen receptor positive. So, you know, triple negative disease as well as hormone receptor positive disease has positive androgen receptors. 
can we or is there something we can pull from the community as well as on clinical trials? And so we discussed enzalutamide, the AR inhibitor. And so this is a drug that's being investigated in clinical trials so that we can see whether it's efficacious in triple negative breast cancer. But, you know, the question is, well, do you think outside of the box, outside of a clinical trial? I think it's really hard in this situation, but the patient has a perfect performance status. So that's something to think about. Now that she's also triple negative, to focus on what other standard chemotherapies do we have that help with triple negative disease, such as the platinum agents. Some of my colleagues use arinotecan and feel that that's very effective in triple negative disease. So we sort of turn our attention to the disease now and think what we can do. But I really do love using the targeted therapies after a person has gone through a lot of chemotherapy because clearly it's not the chemotherapy. We have to do something better. Do you think there's a difference between a patient who right out of the gate has a basal-like breast cancer and a person who is ERPR positive, HER2 negative, that either becomes resistant or on subsequent biopsies is ERPR negative. Yeah. So my experience is I think that there is a complete difference. And I'm sure it just has to do with what mutations are in play that drive this cancer in terms of progression. The basal-like, the people who present with triple negative disease, unfortunately, in my experiences, they don't do well. Some of them do poorly very quickly. Some of them have some period of time, but I'm talking months. My experience for people who really have hormone-resistant disease and become, quote, ERPR negative, they still, like the AR positive subgroup, they still have some driving force through some type of hormonal pathway. Maybe not, again, on the receptor status, maybe it's more internal, maybe it's a PI3 kinase upregulation, something, some mutation that's going on. But I think that they have a much more indolent course, in my experience, than those patients who literally start out with triple negative disease. Yeah, and that would make sense because when she presented with her recurrence in 2010 with triple negative disease, well, it's now been four and a half years later. Yeah. And she's, at least now, doing reasonably well. Right. Normal liver function tests, normal performance tests. Could I ask you, Beth, you mentioned other chemotherapeutic agents of metastatic triple negative disease. Can you talk about sort of practical clinically how you sequence, when you kind of get beyond anthracyclines and taxanes, even capecitabine, where platinums fit in, which platinum you use. You mentioned aridotecan and also aribulin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the older literature before we knew that triple negative disease was susceptible to platinum agents really showed that breast cancer in general responds to the platinum agents if you use it early in the disease course. So, when my patients who have triple negative disease and then recur, that's the time that I actually strongly consider using a platinum agent because I think that that's the time I'm going to get the best bang for my buck. So I try to give them first line platinum. I'll be frank with you. My tendency is to use cisplatin better than carboplatin, but I know that that's still controversial, but I'm comfortable with cisplatin as a single agent. When to use aribulin, I also feel that aribulin works well in triple negative disease. And I have a tendency nowadays to actually use it earlier rather than eighth line. So after a platinum, aribulin, second line, sounds perfectly reasonable for me. I will be frank with you, I have not had good responses with capecitabine in triple negative disease. I use capecitabine more often in ER positive disease. 
I think it seems to be much more successful in that disease. What do you see in terms of toxicity issues with these agents, particularly aribulin when you're using it earlier? Yeah, so it's interesting because we have a clinical trial of first and second line aribulin, and I am learning much more about this drug with the clinical trial. Neuropathy is something that can be quite severe with aribulin. It's interesting because with first and second line administration, I am dose reducing because of toxicity due to neuropathy. I can get around the neutropenia with, you know, GCSF, no problem, but it's the neuropathy that's problematic. The other is actually nausea, that for about three days after the infusion, they are quite nauseous to the point where even though you don't standard give premedication, I've started periodically to premedicate with this drug. And then there are those patients who I've never seen look better. And I give them one dose of aribulin and they fly right through it. But those are the toxicities that I've seen. Curious about your experience, Bonnie, with these various other agents, platinums and triple negatives, aribulin, capecitabine. You know, as far as aribulin, I remember when it first came out thinking, wow, this is great. It's going to be, what, a five-minute infusion. It sounds like vincristine. Even the dose is the same. And that doesn't hurt anybody. This is going to be wonderful. I can get them in and out and not so much. I have to worry about blood counts. I too have noticed nausea, and now I'm premedicating them. And I'm finding that early on, I was using it very late, and I had a lot of trouble. So I'm trying to inch it up earlier on. But it has some really attractive contenders. I mean, drugs like gemcitabine or capecitabine, they're quite reasonable options that have nice side effect profiles, and I'm very comfortable with them. Mm -hmm. 